You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and while I am an attorney, the Buzz Off show is not legal advice. Instead, it's a weekly look and discussion on the latest in drones, autonomous vehicles, the Internet of Things, and all of the technology buzz in between. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 on americaswebradio.com or find the Lawyer Liz podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming service. And when we've previously looked at all of the different aspects of technology and agriculture, we focused on well, the uh, outside of the city, the traditional thoughts of 100-acre farms and autonomous or self-driving GPS-guided tractors. But there's a growing movement in urban areas to address, one, the uh, food desert crisis that folks don't have access, and we're talking access, where they can go to a farmer's market or a grocery store, get fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, uh, fresh meat within a half mile or mile of their house. And so you have that issue as well as compounding the health crisis that, as we're told constantly, we're not eating enough of our fruits and vegetables and we're not getting enough uh, exercise and that's leading to lifelong issues. So there is a group of both agriculture uh, planners, experts, as well as technology innovators that are working to address this issue. And so we'll welcome to the show in a little bit Mario Cambardella, who is leading the charge for one of the major urban areas, the city of Atlanta, as well as being an industry leader outside Atlanta's reaches. But before we get there and talk with Mario, it's of course time to go through some of the busts or musts for the past week. And if you weren't already aware of the 4th of July and all of the amazing drone footage of fireworks, I saw drones flying over a lake in North Georgia capturing the patriotic uh, ski, they call themselves the ski patriots that were skiing around the lake carrying American flags and playing patriotic music. We had a drone filming that. Well, a Vanderbilt uh, football player has learned the hard way that while all of this is fun, most public fireworks displays and, in fact, flying over most crowds is a no-go. And as the FAA uh, designates it, a no-drone zone. But in landing his drone in the middle of a crowd during a Nashville fireworks display, the player found himself charged with reckless endangerment. And I'm sure the football programs, uh, football coaches, two-a-days will be especially fun for this player for 
uh, dragging Vanderbilt's name into the press. But uh, luckily, no one was hurt, as opposed to some NFL players who have learned the hard way that playing with fireworks and stuff like and drones can uh, cause a few injuries. But in addition to that being a bust in the literal and figurative sense, uh, everything is coming up roses for Amazon Prime on their Prime Day sales. And and numbers that, of course, Amazon is, keeps a lot of stuff close to the vest, but they were projected to exceed their 2016 numbers, but particularly when it came to sales of their Echo devices. So for the second year in a row, Amazon Echo devices led the day as one of the best sellers. But when you think about the reach of these home assistant devices and that everything is connected, it's amazing to think of the impact and how many of these devices are in our homes. We've previously highlighted some of the privacy issues with the uh, home assistant devices. Well, consumer intelligence research partners estimated at uh, in early 2017, that as many as 8.2 million Amazon Echo devices are in our homes. So that's not even talking about the Alexa, the uh, iTunes or Apple's iHome. But if you think about the reach, it's no wonder that we're hearing a lot of stories in the news for what these devices are doing and how they're being used. In fact, one of the, so while a, uh, I say a bust in the sales records, but a must apparently and Amazon Prime purchases, we have the Amazon Echo. It leads to some serious privacy and other concerns and the how much will you counterbalance safety with privacy that tends to be a bit of a bust in the sense of where does that balance lie? Because we heard about the Amazon Echo that was used to, uh, they turn, Amazon turned over some of the data that was collected and uh, recordings from that to help the police solve a murder. And now Alexa, uh, of course, can't be bested by Amazon's Echo. An Alexa device has been used to call the sheriff and break up a domestic dispute, which on the one hand, a very good outcome for what was a tense situation for a woman and her child, but what raised eyebrows and issues from a privacy concern on this one was that these weren't the homeowners that the uh, the couple that was involved in the dispute were house-sitting for a friend, and during the course of their heated argument by all accounts that a comment was made did you call the sheriffs to which Alexa called the sheriffs and alerted them to a potential issue at the home but 
note, that was the Alexas notifying the sheriffs. In this case, it was, uh, there was no active, uh, activity, that it wasn't a, uh, Alexa call the sheriffs. It was a discussion, a conversation that constant, you know, the constant monitoring, then the AI decided to, the artificial intelligence decided to make the call. It was not one of the participants. So you have the first privacy issue of, did they know that this device was recording and listening and what other devices in the home? Did they consent to that? And if you're not aware, how can you consent? It's the joke that we talked about on a prior buzz off show with attorney Catherine Bernard, whereas Catherine and I said, do you need to start walking into homes, offices, other places and ask Alexa, Echo, whatever device, are you listening? Turn off, uh, you know, buy lots of canned, uh, creamed corn, buy lots of, you know, have some fun with it, but at the same time, do you need to protect your privacy when going into personal, ordinarily uh, private spaces? But in this case, the device was in the home, and the second aspect was that it wasn't an active instruction. It was merely a uh, command or part of the conversation. So... Do you need to then, even if you have a device in the home, do you need to worry about disabling certain features? Always go into the settings, uh, make sure that it is, you know, purchases aren't automatic, things like that. But it just raises a bunch of concerns. How many false alarms with, if you're what you, we've talked about before, how commercials were set to trigger that, that, uh, TV shows, how do you have to worry about uh, police showing up at your home because of a conversation or a discussion that in you know, a hypothetical instance didn't require actual police involvement. You know, we have talk of swatting instances where people have spoofed a phone number called 911. Do they, what happens if they spoof or hack into an Amazon Echo or an Alexa device and send, you know, create audio that then mimics an emergency situation. It doesn't even have to be the homeowners. The authorities don't know that it's the homeowners or voices or a guest in the home. So all kinds of concerns and certainly not something to bar necessarily use of or purchasing one of these devices, but it just be aware of the concerns and uh, encourage teams to work on solving such issues and addressing it. Because AI and the artificial intelligence have uh, the data, you know, have the potential to provide assistance in a lot of important ways. We shouldn't fear technology, but use it responsibly. And to that end, Microsoft announced the launch of a new uh, fund 
AI for Earth, where Microsoft is sending $2 million to help fund environmental projects, including AI and uh, AI-focused projects in agriculture, water, biodiversity, climate change, and really this signals the uh, startup or investment funds moving outside of where you would typically think of in, all right, is it the latest mobile app, things like that, but turning their attention to growing needs in agriculture and how we can use this technology to solve some of the problems, which is a one of the things we are certainly going to talk about with Mario in our upcoming guest segment and discuss how this technology can be used. That how do you get excited? How do you take what is a traditionally very you know, staid uh, major and course of study and get uh, bring that technology into it? So, looking forward to this conversation with Mario. But Microsoft gets a a must pay attention to for their latest efforts. And one of the other things to look at is there are several other drones that are coming out that uh, follow the GoPro model of uh, follow the from the Mavic to some of the others that if they can work out the kinks, be kind of fun to take out on different sporting adventures or getting uh, using as well for agriculture and other uh, sensing uh, technology but we will pick up with mario right after the break you're listening to buzz off with lawyer liz on america's web radio Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And as I mentioned before the break, really you see this intersection of what are more traditional uh, environments and uh, different aspects of especially Georgia's economy. You have agriculture. Well, you don't always think of that in 
technology terms, I mean, of course, there's the driverless or the uh, autonomous tractors and stuff like that, but there's really so much more you can do and that is being done and solving various social problems of and getting rid of the food desert and bringing healthier options and maximizing space and resources and all of that is possible through various technology uh, research and trends and who better to discuss that with us than Mario Camardella and Mario you have a more of a traditional planning background yet you're doing some pretty cutting edge things in this industry i mean you are setting trends so welcome to the show well thanks for having me i'm, I'm happy to be here and i mean how do you solve the problem or how when you first heard or were first approached with, okay, we need to maximize resources, minimize space, and get rid of food deserts, areas mm-hmm. where people don't have access. Uh, was there a mild panic attack before you got started? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, anytime you take a leap of faith and and kind of go for some place that you've never been before, there's there's usually a Hail Mary uh, prayer going out um, right before that first step. And um, But my career has been largely that. It's been entrepreneurial. It's been exploring, taking the path less traveled. Uh, so I think some of those experiences before prepared me for this new this new venture, uh, being the urban agriculture director for the mayor's office of resilience, the city of Atlanta. And I mean, that's a, that's a mouthful to say you're solving Atlanta's, uh, food problems, challenges. Well, I'm certainly just one part of the equation. Uh, there's many people that, uh, place-based organizations, many leaders within this space that are all looking at these issues um, from a multifaceted perspective. So um, I'm not the only one. Um, I'm just one person uh, amongst the many, and I have to give it up to the leadership that put me in this position because they recognized that this was important to the citizens of Atlanta uh, for a number of reasons. And um, again, I'm just one person in the city government that's trying to sink talent uh, to tackle this very important issue of uh, bringing access to to the citizens of Atlanta, and that's access to fresh, local, and nutritious foods. Well, it, it's not unique to, I mean, Atlanta certainly isn't the only city that's uh, kind of addressing these issues. What... Uh, do you work closely with any of the other uh, major cities? Are they seeing challenges slightly different than what we have here in Georgia? Or are there some broad brushstroke issues that y'all are trying to address? Well, certainly, um, you know, when we say a food desert, and that's it was largely defined by United States Department of Agriculture, and it really comprises of two uh, key factors. Number one is low income. So these are areas, census tracts, that experience high poverty rates. So that's low income. That's the first part of the equation. The second part is low access. That's what everybody really kind of hinges on. But really, it's both of these components because there's many rich, you know, very, very high affluent 
parts of our um, our city or census tracts that don't have, who say are within half a mile or, or one mile of a grocery store, yet they have the funds. They, their family income has the funds to afford a car and transportation to you know food food stores of their choosing. But we're really talking about areas where high poverty rates and there's no access to something that's fresh. Um, this isn't when we're talking about access to fresh. It's not the canned green bean; it's the fresh green bean. So, looking at those areas, high poverty rates, and looking at there is no access. We can look at it from different angles. We can look at it from a, a, a half mile radii from each from each neighborhood, or we could look at a one mile. Mayor Reed made it the mission to look at the half mile, and he would his mission is to bring 75% of all Atlantans within a half mile of a point of access to fresh and nutritious foods. And so I just wanted to kind of frame our conversation with with that and, and sort of as we move forward and, and really talking about really a broad-based strategy, multi-pronged, where we're looking at something, I look at something in the way of the five Ps, and that's, that's policy, what we can do on a policy level, what can we do within comprehensive master plans? How we can incorporate physical plans, maybe site plans, site-specific. Site we're also looking at innovative programming. And then we're also, um, what does that permit process look like? And how can we get people growing and people selling that fresh fruits and vegetables as quickly as, as, quickly as we can? So how can we expedite that process through the permit? Well, so, it... it, it Exactly. It, it's you've got challenges and issues that are being addressed. That, I mean, they're not new. That uh, as right. our communities have grown, and transportation and jobs and locations, kind of folks rely on having cars, but not everybody does. And when public transit can't fill in the gap i mean it's it's a lot harder to go on buses trains you know those kinds of things and not every urban environment has easy access to that uh but what's changing now what's how did i mean other than recognize you know, recognizing that this issue exists were there a, an evolution or was it a kind of the aha moment where folks said you know we can use technology we can use other things to address the you know to solve this issue well i mean it starts with a lot of gis mapping and understanding that these areas where there was poor access well there were spikes in diet related diseases so we could show on a map where the cases of diabetes are, where all these other cases are of, of other diet-related diseases, and say, well, there might be a correlation here. There's no access to fresh fruits and vegetables in these neighborhoods. So when you kind of look at the data and, you, and you're using tools like GIS, um, and we can talk about how the technology of GIS is is even moving it further because we're, we're talking about access. We're talking we can we can layer in the transportation network. We can layer in um, even the topography. Even if it's in a walkable neighborhood, we're we're in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So you may be a half mile from a grocery store, yet it is down a steep steep hill. And so if you don't have a car, even though you, you have um, 
the ability to, you know, you're within that half mile, you might not have the ability to walk there, especially if you're bound to a wheelchair. So there's many, many ways that we are utilizing technology and GIS to better understand what's going on on the ground uh, as that relates to constituents' needs. So that's, that's where we started. Absolutely. It's the data revolution, but being used for good uh, and not just marketing. You know, in this case, it sounds like y'all have been able to tap into that feed of information. And right. as people talk about the healthcare crisis and what do we do, it, you've really hit upon a key element of preventing it before it gets that bad and fixing that. So it, Hopefully, folks in Washington elsewhere will start paying attention to some of the work that y'all are doing. And I, and I hope that people in Washington see what we're doing as an extension of what they've started. USDA started with this food desert map, but their, let's say their census tracts were rather large, and their points of access were rather, let's say, generic. They were only counting, like, big box retail stores. But they didn't have boots on the ground that could really kind of look and find, well, there's a there's a steadfast farmer's market down the street that they've been there for, you know, 10 years. And they've been providing groceries, fresh fruits and vegetables once a week for, for a long period of time. We should count them. And, and maybe they need assistance in promoting what they're doing. Um, so by and large, what we did is we took the, the government federal data and we customized it. We just took it five steps further and um, brought some of those local businesses to light. Uh, we really call it the digital open sign for a lot of these people in the food deserts, and we, we call them lighthouses for nutrition. Um, so it, it's taking what the federal government has already given to us and just kind of making those dollars go further in the local economy. Well, that's great. And with some of the stuff that you're going, I mean, your background what, and certainly uh, between being a licensed landscape architect, uh, you have uh, design, uh, you have the Masters of Environmental Planning, a Masters in Landscape Architecture. And while I do have to get in a slight joke and jab at the University of Georgia, coming sure. from a Georgia Tech household, but... Uh, it's expected. Uh, absolutely. Uh, one thing that's missing is the technology itself side but it seems you've really been able to tap into it and adapt to what's coming has that been a shift in the education approach or you're just that savvy And one of the things, because you've seen this big shift, too, in the uh, really how we're utilizing the technology and the data, that we're gathering the data and developing different uh, aspects and analytics that with, you know, folks are constantly uh, commenting that there are issues, education gaps, what what they can be doing, should be doing, and being able to take that information and utilize it uh, certainly seems to be an adaptive approach that you've now taken this data and this information and 
really brought it to a different uh, different use than, as I joked before, the marketing. So when we get back from this next commercial break, what we'll talk about is how that uh, the lighthouse aspect and really now that you've got this data, what do you do with it? And what do you do with these spaces that or areas that may not have a lot of green space that, okay, you've identified that there's a food desert, uh, not a half mile uh, radius of walking and you know, be it being able to walk uphill, downhill, in the snow, carrying gro- fresh groceries. But we will pick up with that right after this commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. So welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, chatting today with Mario Camberdella. And Mario has a unique task for the city of Atlanta, in that he's been tasked with bringing together great minds to solve some of this food desert, the health issues, you know, all this data pointing to saying people don't have access to the fresh produce and healthy choices, but they also don't have, it's not just on an island, it's they need other aspects, this whole ecosystem of, okay, how do you grow it? And once you've grown it, how do you get it where it needs to be? And so, Mario, what are you all doing to address some of the challenges? I mean, you have the data, you've identified part of the problem. So what's next? Yeah, Lawyer Liz, you framed it well. I mean, Here's the thing. The city of Atlanta is not going to build grocery stores. I mean, you know, that's our mission is to provide all these points of access. But we really have to see a change in the whole ecosystem of the local food system. So that's production. And we're using a lot of technology to up the production. But there's also innovation in 
the aggregation and distribution of that local food. Um, Peach Dish, which is a local Atlanta company, is doing amazing things in, in logistics and technology, um, doing mail uh, mail order meal meals uh, meals that can be ordered online and delivered to your doorstep. Well, the innovation in that is, well, you have all these people that are very far away from grocery stores. Can the grocery stores come to them through these meal ordering catalogs? And well, especially for homebound people as well. I mean, if part absolutely. of the thing we're talking about is some of the lower income uh, populations that you mentioned before that they haven't had access to not only transportation, but they haven't necessarily had the best health care access. Right. Among other things, so they may be homebound or elderly that they should not be driving anymore, and yeah, absolutely getting the meals to them. And this is where we got to push edu- uh, education uh, of of these types of services that are out there. We also need to push the technology um, of utilizing a lot of SNAP benefits, a lot of federal benefits. So that's Medicaid or whatever the dollars you get from the federal government to help with the purchase of fresh, nutritious foods. Let it be to some of these sources that can bring it right to you. Uh, and so there's that, and there's also some other aspects, as in um, there, there are many other ways in which we are learning how to, to do value-added products of these foods. So there's a lot of technology in these smaller micro-kitchens that are shared amongst other people. So uh, one of the companies out there, it's called PrEP. Um, prep kitchen is a micro kitchen or it's it's about you know 10 or 12 micro kitchens that people come in and they can produce food and they might be producing foods for their neighborhood they might be producing foods for their their future business they might be just making you know whatever product they they their hearts desire but the point is that it's really an innovative model in that they're they're understanding that there's a need like even though we got the production, we need to turn it into products. Even though you're making, say, the green beans, how do you make that get to a green bean casserole that's prepared that somebody can heat up? And so these are all the different aspects in which uh, there's new models out there for invigorating, again, the local food economy because a lot of this food is produced locally, it's manufactured locally, and it's distributed locally. Um, that's bringing a lot of access is what we're looking for to people that in most need. So the big picture access, you know, the capital A en- encompasses both access to being able to to produce it, to grow it, or you know, the growing, the then you know, production of all right, now what? I've got, as you said, I've got the green bean. Uh, now how do I prepare it? And then the kind of transportation the bringing it to everyone talks about the trendy restaurants of farm to table but really taking that taking the hipster out of that and Mm -hmm. bringing it the low cost or bringing it to the low income areas and how are y'all balancing those financial burdens because if they could afford to get you know, to pay top dollar for a meal delivery service, then they could probably wouldn't have been in the same situation. It's if you can afford it, you don't necessarily need it. That the needs and that aspects don't always balance. So, 
how is technology helping kind of streamline that process and bring the cost down? Well, I mean, look at the grocery store. I mean, how much, how many of those products in the grocery store are subsidized from the agricultural products are subsidized? Many of them. Many of them are subsidized to get into that store so that that store can build a, so the Publix or Kroger can build a multi-million dollar building for you to go access it. Well, now with your phone, you can access everything that's in that grocery store with the touch of a button. And it can come to your doorstep relatively easy because of these logistical networks that the UPSs and the FedEx and the mail has already, has already created. So we're utilizing a, a existing infrastructure. We're not spending all the money on the brick and mortar, and we're just buying it through the technology of our phone. Um, and these companies, these mail order uh, kits, mail order meal kits, are are taking advantage of it. And you're seeing them pop up uh, quite frequently now as Amazon's getting more and more uh, heavily involved in that space by the purchasing of Whole Foods. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, the landscape is changing. Well, and I, I have to admit, I had not been in a Trader Joe's or Whole Foods in ages and went into Trader Joe's this weekend and was a little intimidated. And then I also felt I needed to not necessarily take a shower, but I just felt the hipster vibe uh, of I don't need... 20 different kinds of cheeses I can't pronounce. I just need cheddar. Uh, and there there are those misconceptions. How are you breaking through some of that to say, yes, we're meal order, you know, those kinds of things, or we're creating these uh, networks, but it's easy to use and it's easily accessible that you don't need to be intimidated, that educational aspect. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it boils down to the value of cultural relevancy of food. I mean, just because it's heirloom, it's, you know, somebody can identify with that. I I think when I talk to a lot of urban agriculturists, these people that work on farms in the city, a lot of them say that their father works in some office building or, or um, works in some manufacturing or blue collar kind of or white collar. And then they'll always say, I mean, I don't think it's ever been a time when they have not said that their grandparents were farmers and that they remember or have some attachment or connectivity with how their grandfather or grandparents farmed and what kind of foods that they ate. So that might be a type of potato, it might be a type of tomato, some sort of heirloom. And then they talk about these varieties that have significant cultural meaning to them. And when we're talking about, um, we're talking about populations um, that, that want to hold on to those, that heritage, food is the vehicle to do that. And because it's not only about the, the, let's say, the tomato, the, the heirloom, like a Cherokee purple or heirloom tomato, it's about what dishes they make with that and who they eat those dishes with. And that's about, it largely bring, goes down to their family. And so they have these deep connections with these types of fruits and vegetables that you can't find at Kroger sometimes and that you can't find at these big box retailer stores. So it's a passing of this education and this history. It's a passing. It's, it's keeping this food culturally relevant 
to our communities. And I think when we do that, when we instill that value in what we're growing, um, it makes it more impactful and more valuable. Like we go back to that green bean example. Yeah, we get it right now. You can go to get a can of green beans. We're talking about the fresh green bean. But what's the heirloom green bean when you make that casserole? So now, now it has a story behind it. When you eat it, you, you know where it came from, and it's more impactful. It gives you something to talk about over that dinner table because you do want to share it because it means so much. And those well, are the types of value we're trying to render out of this local food economy. So now that I mean, you raise a lot of folks when they think of agriculture they think of the farm in the middle of you know, middle georgia but urban agriculture you you mentioned that term it, that's where you're utilizing technology to bring the agriculture you know how do you farm how do you grow that heirloom green bean or heirloom tomato when you don't have any green grass around or spaces so what are some of the ways y'all are solving that challenge um yeah just to highlight just a few innovative programs one um next week we are going to uh, atlanta city council and asking the city council to approve a one dollar lease for the next five years of four acres of high voltage power line easements from from georgia power um, these are long stretches, no trees, underneath high-voltage power lines that we're going to create farms. And so that's one way we can these, – these power line easements crisscross the city like little scars, and they just leave a lot of a bunch of usable land for, for basically growing anything you want. And a lot so of y'all are – I was going to say, y'all are certainly uh, taking you know, areas or kind of recapturing uh, areas that weren't previously being used. They're just ignored. Uh, that's great. Uh, how else? Are, what are some of the other ways y'all are doing that? Through controlled environment agriculture, we've really kind of tried to stimulate uh, the industry of controlled environment agriculture, which is growing something indoors. So that could be in the basement of the building, it could be on the rooftop, but that's controlling the environment uh, and enclosed enclosed structure. And um, limiting the use of pesticides, chemicals, being able to grow 365 days of the year, and reducing the amount of water needed to grow those uh, those those edible plants. That's what controlled environment agriculture is all about, and that's what the city of Atlanta has really sort of honed in on one way that we can maximize production in the city in a very technologically advanced systems that uh, are great institutions like georgia tech i hate to say it are, are really leading the I, that, way that hurt just a little um, bit didn't it <laughs> yeah well good no well and y'all are not just working with georgia Tech. you're bringing in uh some of the other uh, universities that it, it sounds like you're taking from the science fiction to the classroom and really connecting there there's a lot of opportunities to um we need to grow the next farmer. The average age farmer in Georgia is 57 and climbing. So we need the next wave of farmers, and that might be through science and technology and controlled environment agriculture farms. Well, and I've seen the Martian, and uh, if they can grow potatoes 
theoretically on Mars, but we will pick up where the trends are going and some of the work Mario's doing right after this commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. Catch us each Wednesday on americaswebradio.com from 2 to 3 in the afternoon Eastern. Or find the Lawyer Liz podcast available on americaswebradio.com iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite podcast streaming service. And we've been talking today about uh, basically the latest revolution in agriculture, which is the growth of urban agriculture, but also how technology and different, uh, the entire universe of we call capital A access is bringing fresh food to as many tables as possible with the say Pied Piper who's leading all of this for the city of Atlanta but Mario Camberdella so Mario welcome back and uh, we were talking before the break about basically the work y'all are doing at different universities and and you know, as as we saw Matt Damon in The Martian, you know, y'all are trying to take the environments you have and bring the urban into agriculture. Yeah, it, it, we're doing it through some innovative ways, and and one of the things that um, you know we've done at the city is, is try to try to build a stage for those types of discussion, those types of talks, and this this convening. Of um, of people that are very interested in urban agriculture and especially the innovative urban urban ag uh, of controlled environment agriculture. So last year, last February, we convened. We had this what we call the Aglanta Conference, and there we had um, what I thought was going to be about 150 people. 272 people showed up. Um, Twelve different countries represented: China, New Zealand, um, all over Europe. Uh, uh, Mexico, Canada, 
there, everybody's interested in this new way that we can grow in the urban environment. And one of the reasons, some of the aspects of why they're so interested in it, because you can get a high yield in a relatively small space because you're going vertical. So imagine if you had a building that was one acre. It was a large building. I mean, think of almost like a Walmart. One, but now you had it 40 feet tall. So that's a much taller than a typical Walmart. But you did a grow trays. You, had, you were growing lettuce in trays with artificial light every foot of that one-acre building. Well, in a sense, you're growing 40 acres of food, 40 acres of lettuce. Um, when we think of lettuce and we think of Georgia, we think about what are the production numbers? We, what, are the, what are the opportunities for the state of agri- the, the agriculture of the state to invest in lettuce? Well, we eat somewhere between 300 and 400 million dollars worth of lettuce every year the state of georgia does that's everybody in it well we only grow less than one percent of that so if we look at there as an opportunity there and we have this technology that could that could let us participate in that market well we're going to try to to propel that that industry forward and create new opportunities to to get some of that market share back. Well, you have to. I mean, it's uh, that 40 acres as you're addressing some of the food desert issues. We don't have another 40 acres in the middle of downtown Atlanta to produce, as you pointed out, to meet the need. And Atlanta's just a snapshot. I mean, certainly New York City, some of the other more densely packed urban areas, yet demand is up. And as you noted before, the fresh food does impact, you know, everyone's focusing on healthcare these days. It it does impact healthcare, quality of life, quality of living. It's kind of, you're being, we need, the urgency is there. So, Working with those, you know, those other opportunities. How often are you seeing the the industry getting together? I mean, kudos to y'all for hosting this conference last year. Are there more? Are you seeing more and more opportunities to find out uh, where the research is going and where the trends are? Uh, sure. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's a burgeoning like industry, but. I mean, at 272 people, we were the largest controlled environment agriculture conference in the South. So, I mean, it is still a very, very young industry, which is very exciting, first off. I mean, just to, just to say that right off the bat, I, I'm very excited about the promise of controlled environment agriculture. But I, w- I would caution with two, two things. One is that, you know, these are a lot of water comes into these systems. What do we do with that water? I think one of the ways in which I'm playing um, playing probably the most significant role in bringing this industry here is making sure that it's safe when it gets here. So we convened a, a, a task force, a controlled environment agriculture task force, to really do a deep dive into what are the um, implications of a massive industry like a controlled environment agriculture industry taking place or rooting in, in Atlanta, no pun intended. And 
And so what is that implications to water? What is that implications to equity? What is that implications to um, just overall community health? So we definitely convened that. The participants there were council members and, and people of the federal regulators and the state regulators and, and, and county regulators and, of course, city regulators. So, And we had practitioners, people from the educational sector. So we're going to continue that. We're going to continue that task force so that when the industry comes, and it will, uh, our, our, um, our community is going to be ready. Our, and we're going to hopefully curb any of those negative aspects that may arise, or at least have a game plan to tackle it when it shows its face. Well, and funny that you mentioned that too, because it, looking at you know if, if Elon Musk is going to have a uh, his SpaceX and everything going up, it, it's not just the low income areas that are going to have to face these challenges. It's I'm surprised that, or would not be surprised, if you see a lot more interest from some of the futurists as well. Well, Elon Musk's brother, Kimball Musk, is is heavily invested into America's food system. I mean, that's where he probably spends, uh, you know, majority of his focus. And, and he's a very successful entrepreneur and environmentalist himself. And so he is doing a number of different companies, but one of which is specializing in controlled environment agriculture. And we're, I mean, I'm, I would, this is, if, if this podcast reaches Kimball Musk, I'm inviting you to the Aglanta conference to share what you're working on and how we can make this, this industry so much better so that we can serve more people less waste. I mean, and that's what sustainability is. Do better, less waste. So that's what we're that's what we're pushing for. And Kimball, you come on down to the south. I'll show you a good time. You know, I yes, I challenge accepted. I'm sure we can find some folks to get it at least on their radar. I love it. Uh because it how do you solve those challenges of you know, the you mentioned the water but the energy and where is the price point now is it even viable on the large scale or is it still technology that's scaling up it's still scaling up i mean we in atlanta a lot of the companies benefit from very very competitive rates courtesy of southern company so we have some of the best energy rates available our water rates are good for um, for irrigation purposes, and that's what these companies would be eligible for if they were to come. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, we have a municipality that's really looking at this and, and making sure that these companies um, are plugged in and um, and finding a, a good place to work and collaborate with others. So. I, I think all those things combined, when we cr- when we incubate this sort of environment for these types of this type of agriculture, I, I think that uh, we're destined for some pretty powerful and impactful things. Well, and there's been such a focus and playing on the incubation aspect that you hear of technology startup incubators focused on data, uh, cybersecurity. Are you seeing a change or a shift of uh, startup companies that are looking? Because you mentioned several, both in the home delivery market, but some of the other 
are you seeing companies or startups minds trying to solve this problem? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all different ways. Um, I think of ArcFab, which is a Georgia Tech think tank kind of for controlled environment agriculture, and they're trying all these brand new innovative ways in which we can do controlled environment agriculture the most organic way possible. I mean, they're doing fantastic studies on black soldier fly larvae as the protein base for, uh, for, for fish feed. And that fish feed, and this is more of aquaponic systems, and so that's the rearing of fish in the urban environment, which has a symbiotic relationship with the growing of food because you take the fish emulsion or the fish waste, and then you, you dilute it in such a way, and that can be the nitrogen source for plants. So there's some laboratories that are practicing this way of, of taking in food waste from the municipality, which there's way too much of, they're utilizing these black fly, these larvae, which eat the food waste, turn that food waste into proteins in their belly. Then those proteins are fed to fish. Those fish become a food source. The waste from those fish become the food source for the plants, and ultimately we benefit from the plants as well. So, again, doing something a little bit better with a little less waste, it's still a laboratory. It's still a research laboratory. It's called ArcFab, housed out of Georgia Tech, and um, and it's uh, the locations over the Truly Living Well Farm, uh, right off Cells and Lawton in Atlanta, and they're doing phenomenal things. And I think that's where some of the research needs to go. And uh, we were happy to. Uh, I guess I should go ahead and make the personal plug, although it wasn't just me. Southern Conference absolutely um, was the Atlanta Conference donated $27,000 to the ARC Fab Lab uh, last year at the last Aglanta conference to further their work. So proud of them. Want them to just go leaps and bounds into the 21st century to show us how we can produce food the most organic way possible. And one other thing just to mention is we have a number of events. We have a number of stages that we put the local food economy on so that everybody can see it and really kind of uh, help invest socially and socially invest into this into this um, this new paradigm of of um, of growing and eating and, and and knowing where your food's coming from. So we have this two weekends from now. We have Taste of Atlanta. It's at the Sweet Auburn Curb Market. It's uh, July 22nd, Saturday night. You can go to aglanta.org to learn all about it, and that's A-G-L-A-N-T-A dot org. And thank you, for, thank you for having me. No, thank you. I mean, exciting stuff, not just of science fiction movies. So I encourage everyone to t- check out the work that Mario's doing in Aglanta. And thank you to... Uh, America's Web Radio. You've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. Catch us next week. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.